0: To me, reframing has been one of the single most powerful tools that I've employed over the last decade and a half. And we're not almost doing it justice talking about it here, but I, I echo what your coach talks about in that it's, it is so, so important because when I come to any situation, and again, it all ties back to nothing has any meaning except for the meaning you give it, is like frame it to what you want.
1: Welcome to the Mindful Paths Podcast with Nick Day and Harry Kalimnios, where we explore the fascinating world of mindset, mindfulness, fitness, well-being, vitality, leadership, and of course, personal development.
0: Our goal is to provide you with insights to help you live a more fulfilling, happier, and healthier life.
1: So if you're striving to be a better parent, friend, leader, colleague, or boss, or if you simply want to be more mindful and aware of the world around you, then this Mindful Paths Podcast is going to be for you.
0: We invite you to eavesdrop on our conversations, and we challenge you to discover a new insight to help you on your own journey towards personal growth and positive change. So sit back, relax, and let's begin our journey together
1: on the Mindful Paths Podcast. Harry, welcome back. How are you doing, sir?
0: I'm good. How's it going, Nick?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Look, the sun is shining. I've been on a golf course today. It's my brother's birthday, and we've got got some finally got some decent weather. So yeah, it looks nice? really sunny there.
0: Uh, it's not sunny it it's not much here. Um, That's been,
1: it's been absolutely beautiful. Um, well,
0: it's been the
1: fair, garden is, is full of color, and its uh, birds are singing
0: in the morning. It's good. We had a really good uh, bit of sunshine at the weekend, though. And actually, on Saturday it was. I don't know if you know Alexandra Palace. Do you know Ali Pali? He must yeah,
1: have. Heard yeah, that. Ali Pali.
0: So yeah, it's been around for 150 years. So it's their 150th year anniversary. <laughs> so they had like this big festival, at Ali Pali. So I went down there uh, with some of my nieces. And my sister and brother in law, and a few other friends, nice. and uh, hung out there. So it was really, really good. Uh, listening to live music, getting some food, sitting on the grass, grounding myself, all of there those. There
1: you go, mate. Everyone's getting outdoors. We went to Exmouth Beach, spent a day at the beach, went to Exmouth, put on like a party in the park, live music, chilled outside, getting all the uh, vitamin B coming through. And um, yeah, it was good. Family time in the sunshine. It was absolutely El Ramo, like absolutely heaving at the beach, you can imagine suddenly everyone comes outdoors. I think it's a, bit, a little bit like a, a mini recovery from the pandemic where suddenly everyone's outdoors again. Everyone's oh. been so scooped up with the terrible weather we've been experiencing. It was like first opportunity. Everyone's flocked to uh, to where I live and, uh, and come out to the sea. So yeah, it's been, been good. I think it's been much needed. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, the sun is, uh, I, and I think, I know you want to talk about change of seasons and things like that, and maybe where I guess we're heading into summer now in earnest with it being uh, June tomorrow. Is it June summer or is that still spring? But either way, it's a change of season. And I was thinking this when I was out on Sunday in Camden with a friend of mine, that when the sun is shining, there is just so many more possibilities open to us in terms of what we can do. Because... You can sit outside, you can just sit by, the, we were sitting by, by the canal and you're not in a rush to go anywhere and you can wear a t-shirt and you don't have to, and I cycle a lot, as you know, uh, around town. And it's such a palaver in the winter because you have to have these jackets, waterproofs, tuck your shoe, uh, your trousers into your socks, do all of that in the summer. You can wear, go shorts, t-shirts, don't need lights. You don't need all that paraphernalia. And the change of season obviously brings around that change of mood and everyone feels much happier. And... and you know, I know we've covered the beat model before, but as part of that, um, what what's the, the, the part, the E elements. If you remember fire, so we had air, water, earth, fire and ether. So fire yeah. is all about sunlight, right? Sunshine, being outdoors, vitamin D. And I came to that conclusion much like uh, this weekend where I feel like actually when it's sunny, I feel happier. And um, when I'm out and about, I feel better.
1: A bit like you, I got out on my bike the first time in nine nine months. Cycled, so we went on Saturday. We went to a um, national trust. It was nice. You know what? We got out. We we decided as a family we would go and go somewhere we've never been before. Took the dogs with us. Uh, Lucy's Road, I cycled. It was the other side of Dartmoor. And um it was good, it was like 55k ride to get there, which is nice. I've been on the bike for a long, long time. You feel a bit twitchy on the old TT bars I've gone up a bit. Right. Got there, really nice, really nice National Trust actually a place called park, K A R K E, just on the um the entry park point of, of going to Dartmoor near the tour, uh Bobby Tracy way. It was a really, really lovely walk. Really nice cafe there, by the way. If it was listening to this, I want to go to a really probably the best National Trust cafe for food I've ever been to. The salads were amazing, full of colour. But all the things you'd love, right? Real variety, bit of an Asian twist to it, which you don't really expect at National Trust. But anyway, really, really good. And then um, I decided I would cycle back because it wouldn't fit in Lucy's car. And, um, you know, a bit tired. I had a big, big lunch. You've done 55K already. And I decided to use Google Maps to get me back quicker because we had, a we wanted to get to the party in the park later on. So I said, don't worry, I'll do a direct route rather than I wanted to go. And I just I used Google Maps because my Garmin had died of battery. So I decided that I would the journey, but then chooses if I was walking. So if you choose the walking route, right. it gives you the shortest route. But I was like, ah, 17 miles, no eyes at all. Oh my god, I'll tell you what, I went into Dartmoor, the first hill, and lasted about two miles. You can see much driver, it was like 21% climb, unrelenting for over a kilometer. I was and on a TT but I was absolutely beasted. And I, I realized that it took me longer to do 34, 35k home, but it took me pretty much to do fifty five k to get there. So in my wisdom of of shorten the route it was just up down up. it was horrible Absolutely.
0: i'm actually not surprised i mean i know your experience with google maps and plotting things and cycling and having had first-hand experience and i i'm surprised that you even think about taking the, the walking path especially in that area i mean <laughs> in london fair enough you can maybe do the walking path because you know it's going to be pretty much a road anyway These ended up being roads, but they're like
1: back end (laughs) tracks in Dartmoor. You know, you wouldn't, you're not, they're not made for road bikes, they're made for tracks. Yeah. And it's single. So even on the descents, where you think, I'll enjoy the descent, you can't because you've got hedgerows either side, you're all blowing corners, potholes everywhere. So even going downhill, you're going really slow and steady. Any car comes the other way, you're kind of playing with your life a little bit. Yeah. But uh, it was good. It was just good to be outdoors and good to, you know, sweat outdoors. And I think that's what sun does, right? It gets people outside and you, it links to all the other stuff. You talked about, you know, very briefly SAD, seasonal affective disorder, but we know that exercise is good. When it's outdoors and sunny, people want to exercise more, people want to go outside, people want to just enjoy nature a little bit more and get their you know, vitamin D being one part of it, but improve their melatonin levels. So I said all the things that we get from just being outside and exercising a bit more. So yeah, I like, we, everyone you know, at work, friends, everyone's in a slightly better spirit.
0: We have mentioned SAD, it might be worth talking about that in a bit more detail. And also how you how you do because i i'm a i'm a summer person i'm not a winter person i don't really like the winter i I, i'm a beach person i'm a holiday person i'm not really into the winters in london and i found this winter was quite challenging um a few years ago it was actually okay because i had a holiday booked for january and that kind of get got me through when i went month month to india which was great except for the fact that i was injured the whole time but one of the things that um you know sad for those listeners that may not know it seasonal affective disorder i guess i first heard that term maybe 10 years ago we coined terms all the time basically the winter blues as as it were yeah, where you people can not listen- get
1: it in the summer though you can get it in the summer but you yeah, can it's
0: Exactly. And I I guess that's why it's called seasonal, because it could be at any point. And the the idea being that at certain points, typically in the winter, you're going to feel differently. And people might think, well, is that psychosomatic? Is it actually something? It is something. And I think it comes down to this, this vitamin D issue and being outdoors. I think the sun does a lot more than give us vitamin D for sure. 100%. And one of the things that I noticed a massive difference when I, th- I think it was for my 40th birthday, I got a, my 40, actually it was my sister's bought me this present and I, I'd asked for it anyway, but it was like this big SAD lamp again from a brand called Lumi who are kind of specialists. I've,
1: I've got a Lumi lamp. I know exactly uh, what it is. Not here at my workplace. Work so I stay Yeah.
0: And so I have this big, I have the, the Brazil, it's called the Brazil, which is the the biggest one they have. And it's, Essentially, a huge lamp. And I remember the first winter that I used it, and I would use it pretty much first thing in the morning within the first half an hour of waking up. Typically, when I was at the time jumping on my mini trampoline, my rebounder, I would have that blaring in me, and it's a a 10,000 lux light. So, lux, for those of you that are listening that are not familiar, it's just a unit of measurement of how we measure. Um, brightness. And on a typical sunny day, you might get, well, 50,000, 70,000 lux of light easily. In fact, the, the, you can get a, an app on your phone that will measure, but it only usually measures up to about 35,000 and it maxes out in the sunny day. Even on a cloudy day, you might get about 4,000 uh, 4, lux on a cloudy day. Indoors, when you're in your office building, At most, we're talking 400 lux, an order of magnitude different from a cloudy day, which is why it's really important, even on those cloudy days in the winter to get out at lunchtime. Because if all you do is get on the tube or get in your car, drive to an office, spend all day under artificial light, then come home and you might not see the sun until the weekend or not only the sun, but the daylight until the weekend. That really affects you. And when I started using this SAD lamp, I'd have it on for 15, 20 minutes when I'm rebounded and then for about an hour while I'm at my desk. And I did notice a massive difference. I did notice a massive difference. This is
1: a question. And I don't know I'm not an expert in, in seasonal affective disorder or anything, any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just thinking out loud. So there's a, a Latin phrase which I talk well, to coaching parts, and I'm or rather than well, coaching parts, I should say. And often they've got a problem they need to solve, right? And obviously, coaching creates a space where people can talk out loud and air those thoughts, and we can try and ask questions to go deeper, and people come with these different you know, insights. Insight leads to action, which is what we're trying to achieve. But often we can come to those insights ourselves by unclogging the mind, right? Our mind is full of everything from work to family to fitness to what whatever's going on in our external world as well as our internal one, right? So there's a Latin phrase called solvita ambulando, I think ambulando, which is a Latin thing. Means, it means solved by walking. So I'll often say to people, it's that that's, that's the only Latin phrase I know. I don't know any others. I just know that one because for me, it resonates. I know if I've got dog struggling, right, buster, Coco, we're going for a walk. I'm going to clear my mind, compartmentalize what's going on. But by the time I come back, I know I'll deal with that problem differently. And if I hadn't, as it goes back and it's the only one I know. And I really like it. And I always say to Grant, solver to Rambulando, that's the way you need to go. And you go and solve." Trouble. I'll bring it back into context. So with, in relation to what you just mentioned there, the, the lux I think, is really fascinating. Not something I know much about. I didn't really, I can obviously hear the comparison there. How much do you think people's being is lifted? Not necessarily because they suffer from seasonal affective disorder, when it's sunny outside, irrespective of the many benefits the sun gives us in terms of nutrients and, and, and well-being, all the other bits, actually, sometimes it just encourages us to go outside. So actually, the benefits isn't necessarily the sun; it's just that we, it encourages us. It takes us away from our work. When it's raining outside, you go. You know what? It's not necessarily. You might get the same benefit from going outside in the rain because actually, going outside in the rain is something I'd really encourage. And go jump in muddy puddles with your kids. You'll get all the same endorphin rushes, but we don't. We just think, you know, it's miserable. So I'm going to work that extra hour. Mm. I'm going to stay head down. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to my diet is going to be, you know what? I'm going to hydrate less because it's when you're in the sunny you drink. I drink more. I drink drink, hardly any water, you know, but I will drink more when it's sunny. So when it's miserable, I drink less. My diet is typically worse. Um, It's not because of I'm suffering from seasonal affective disorder in the way that I would interpret it. I just don't want to go outside as much because it's miserable. But when it's sunny, you get all the additional benefits of walking more, exercising more, hydrating more, socializing more, bringing in your beat model. I'm going to more likely to go and see a friend at a pub or at the beach than I am if it's miserable because you just don't. So I'd be interested. What's your view on it?
0: I, I I, I think there's merit in that to some degree. Maybe not as much as you think. And the reason I say that is because two things. If, if, for example, uh, when we're out in the sun, sometimes a lot of people do go out, they exercise, they do things. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people might just be lounging on a on the grass, in a hammock, right, lying in the park, and actually not moving so much and not doing anything. And then still, but they
1: would still be not moving if they were at home. So there's yeah. no difference as a exactly. study-
0: So they're not moving both at home and they're not moving both outside but they still feel better from being outside than being, yeah, okay. um, and then the flip side being that in the winter, when I do go for my walks, cause I still walk all year round. And for me walking, I think I mentioned it before, is effectively my main form of exercise or cardio. <laughs> yes, I feel good. And actually I really like, I used to love when I used to run, like I used to love running in the rain. That used to be my, my favorite time to run actually. It ain't raining, it ain't chaining, as they say. (laughs) Oh, I've never heard that before, but that's good. I I, I just, again, I I put it back to, I would imagine the rain just washing away any, any problems I had. And also because it rains, you're... You have to focus a bit more, uh, I think, and it, and it takes you away from the issue that you might have been thinking about before. I love how it
1: how your mindset is washing things. It's totally different to how I would feel running in the rain. So the ain't rain, ain't training thing is, is interesting. Is it, for you, it washes things away. It's much more... Um, so you're more in tune, probably, with your mind than I am in that moment. For me, when I'm training in the rain, I'm really proud of myself because I've got out. Well, I know most people are indoors. But actually, I'm training in, in these conditions. This is about me getting fitter, me getting towards a goal or whatever. I'm not thinking about washing anything away. I'm just thinking about, I'm really proud of myself for getting out in these conditions and going yeah. for it. And I am proud because I do know, and I know comparison is a, typically a negative thing. But in that moment, I'm thinking, you know what? Most people I'm running past, these houses I'm running past right now, everyone's stuck indoors. I can watch them watching their TV as I run past. I get satisfaction from that.
0: Yeah, um, I, I it, again, it comes to how you think about things. So because a lot of the time, and I remember Tony Robbins talking about this, it's like how you view life. And a lot of the time I see, view, I view life as, I don't know if it's an adventure or a challenge, but something like that. And so I imagine myself often when I'm coming into these challenging situations or, you know, you're walking in the rain or running in the rain that you're on some sort of adventure, right? You're in the, the, I don't know, the military on a mission, whatever. And it's it's kind of mission driven. And so for me, it feels quite invigorating, but also the whole washing away the issues is like we say, nothing has any meaning except for the meaning you give it. So I choose that actually this hitting my skin takes away those issues. And yeah, I just like wanted it. to show a yeah. quick example of, of how, you know, in London, we have hard water, which means that when it gets on things, it, it comes... scale.
1: We've got it here actually in Devon. Here.
0: And one of the things I was never very good at ever was scraping down the shower from the shower screen after the yeah. shower. Uh, I'm not sure if you're particularly good with that or not. And then about... Not particularly. I've got LimeScale uh, build up like anyone else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And about eight years ago, that changed. <clears throat> and I have re- simply reframed. And I think reframing is one of the most powerful tools that we've got which is effectively looking at things from a different angle. I totally agree. And I just decided that all of those droplets of water were problems that I have. And so every time I want to get rid of those problems, I just scrape with a scraper. And you're not going to get rid of all the problems because you don't get rid of all the water, but you get rid of most of them. And the bits that mm-hmm. are, are left are not really that important. And ever since I kind of reframed it that way, I do it every day. Like I, ha- I don't think I've ever missed a day. And, yes. and for me, it's like keeping the, having a clean sheet. And so, again, it's all about how you choose to think about the situation that you're in and what it means to you. And so, yeah, running in the rain, doing all this makes me feel a, a, a certain way when I did it. But anyway, going back to the point where I was thinking, well, yes, you feel good, right? You do, sometimes I, I used to do British military fitness and they always used to do that outdoors and you feel great for that. I'm just thinking that a lot of the time when I'm out walking and, and doing things in that wintry time, I don't come back and feel the same way like doing that walk in the summer. So I think it's definitely a combination. So I don't think it's just the being outside. I, I think maybe you're 50% right there with it being, being outside and doing those things. But I think the, the, the stuff that vitamin D does and, and the sunlight does to us in terms of mood. And the reason we can say this as well is because we can look at vitamin D supplementation in studies and trials and the 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 amount of things that vitamin d does is unbelievably ridiculous i think i wrote a, a blog post about eight years ago about this from colds flus but also mood depression everything and so by supplement with that even when you're not getting out in the sun and by the way the sun does more than just give you that vitamin d as we know or we may not know but it does a lot more um we, we see that benefit. So I think it is the sun as well as being outdoors, the fresh air and moving your body as well, of course. So, yeah. Combination. combination.
1: A couple of things actually popped up and you're talking. Um, I, you know, as you know, always actually interesting, I was mention this. I had a, a Gallup strength study done mm. um, and I'm not a big fan. of This is completely separate, not where I was going to go, but it'll make sense to why I've picked these three points out. And it's really interesting. I'm not generally a big fan of of psychometrics, and some people love them, some people hate them. I've done insights, done others, and I was like, mm, Yeah, a bit generic, but not for me. I would, I would say, I'm probably 70% enjoyed the Gallup study. There were things I didn't, and certain things I didn't agree with, but ultimately, it was quite interesting. So I came out really, you have your, your top strengths essentially, they narrow it down to your top 10 and then your top five and whatever. But in my top five was um, strategic thinking. And what was interesting, and this is completely separate, and we'll come back here if you want to, or we'll leave it for another day, but I want to, I'll, I'll say why I'm referencing it in a moment. So my wife often, has often said to me, Nick, you, you, know, you just need to be present more. Right? And I wanted to challenge what that really meant, because her version of being present and my version of being present, I've always felt was different, because I'll say I am present. She'll be no, you're not. Anyway, she, I then, on the back of this, got her to do a Gallup defense assessment as well to see what her results were. Her number one was empathy. Doesn't surprise me at all, as you know, Lucy, as well as I did. My number one was was, uh, was student thinking. Mm. What the, the the coach at the other end of the, the assessment, brilliant guy called John, um, who you know, I'll put the link to him if anyone wants to do this study uh, in, in the show notes. But what he said was, our version of being present is very different. So in my mind, when I'm in the moment, my brain is already thinking about what the next thing is. So what problem are we going to solve? What would this look like if the pitch changed? How do we get here? What's to come? Whereas Lucy literally is sat there enjoying, I mean, bringing everything in. And he was saying, it's not that you're not present. It's just that your version of presence is different. And I was like, okay, that, that kind of penny dropped for me a little bit. And it makes sense when she thinks my mind is somewhere else. It is. I'm in the moment, but I'm already thinking about the next thing or how that situation could change. The reason I referenced that is when you were talking, three things, I wrote them down, came into my mind. It probably popped out all over the place. First one was the reigning theme, reminding reminded me of a story, really sad story, actually, that I was at um, an, an obstacle course racing event. Award ceremony years ago this would have been 2015 2016
0: probably and
1: there was a talk there uh the guy gave and we were raising money for uh excuse me because i don't remember the child's name it was uh, someone i knew in obstacles racing not someone i was close with but he we were raising money for his son's charity and his son had sadly passed away the young boy i think he died around four, four or five years old and had a, obviously a, rare, a rare condition and unfortunately didn't make it but what he was saying is we come up to Christmas, and he gave us all. And it's always stuck with me, and it links to rain. though so I'm going somewhere with it. But what he said was, you know, when it comes to the Christmases and the birthdays and the parties, and if your parents just, you know, take this in because it really hit me between the eyes when you're hearing this in real time from a parent who's lost their child. He said that we got. I think he said we got our son an Optimus Prime, really into Transformers, and we got this thing for Christmas, and it was great. And he unwrapped it at Christmas Day and loved it. And then sort of 10, 15 minutes later, we went to the next thing. So children worked. So Think of that mindset now, how they're always in the moment, and then into the next thing. We said the memories that we have with our child isn't the Christmas presents that are, we spend, we work really hard to save for, and you give, and you enjoy for that moment, and it's moved, and then on to the next thing. The memories we take away, actually, was at an obstacle course race, funny enough, where it was absolutely hammering it down with rain. Everyone's plastered in mud. We're making the best of the situation. No one really, you know, my son didn't want to be there to watch. And we turned it around by literally just running and jumping in every muddy puddle we could find. And it was so emotional. Like everyone was in tears in, in, in this discussion room. And he, including himself, he was saying, that, that that's the memory you have it's completely free. Mm. And the, the easy example would have been that day to not go to the race because it was raining, to not put my family through the rain and the mud of that particular day, right? Let's just stay indoors. We'll do something else. But we wanted to go, we made the decision to go. And it was one of the best decisions we ever made. And obviously it was relevant for the talk and obviously of course race, but the memory, the, the, the strongest memory he had of having fun. And he put a photo on a slide in the back of the two of them. His wife had taken, a, you know, they're, they're holding arm in arm jumping in a puddle and splashes and going broke the room. But he said, that's the memory that you want, not the optimist prime at Christmas. And then we need to do those things and your parents and whatever, but if you don't go outside sometimes in the rain, I was thinking of you when you were talking about the cleansing and the feelings you got, it just hit me. I hadn't thought of that probably for seven, eight years. I think I mentioned jumping puddles earlier, which kind of probably triggered the mm-hmm. thought process. And I was like, wow, that's just come in. That's, that was an experience that we should that I really hit me at the time. It's nice to be reminded of, for, for, the good, for the good side of it. But actually, sometimes the best things are free, and it's just in nature we can create those experiences. You bought a puddle for your kid. But it, yeah. it wouldn't be the same, right? If that's something that nature gives us and it's, yeah. and it's the circumstances around it. Second thing I thought about uh, when you were talking was you mentioned reframing. Now, we had we don't plan these talks, so I didn't know we were going to go down the reframing route. But I haven't mentioned to you, I was um, privileged to be part of a show by an amazing coach, performance coach. He's he's um, trained Olympic gold medalist, I've probably mentioned him on the show before. He's my coach as well, so we've got a good relationship. Uh, but he was he very kindly asked if I would do a Q&A, a live theater, Corby uh, Cube Theater, so it holds up 300 people uh, at the theater. And first, that was him talking about his new model. And the second, that was me doing a live Q&A with him, with the live audience, and talking about how his coaching experience and things he's done. Anyway, long story short, his new model is called Fireproof. And this isn't a plug, but the F stood for framing and reframing, which he said was the single most important part of any performance coaching model was Mm. being able to A-frame and then if necessary, reframe a situation. And you mentioned reframing being really important. I was like, oh, I've just had a whole talk about this. Right between the eyes, you picked out something that I was- The whole
0: chapter of my new book. Yeah. The whole chapter of my new book. And I think with reframing, the, what I want to say to some audience, because I know my mum listens to this show a lot and she she's kind of, a, 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 you know, biggest fan, but also a bit of a skeptic when it comes to a few things. So, Like I, I think I mentioned before, she believes like things like meditation is like sticking your head in the sand. Right. And some people might hear reframing and go, oh, isn't that positive thinking or this something the other? And I say, it's not, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to work out, and I think this is the metaphor, the analogy that I gave in the, in the chapter, in the book that I, I've written. And it's effectively, imagine you're on a house on, a, on a, in a, in a meadow, on a hill somewhere. And all you've done is, and you've got a window behind you, and all you've done is you're looking outside that window the whole time. You see a certain view, that's it. And then if you move to the door, Or to another window in your house you're seeing the same thing but you're seeing it from a different angle and it's not that suddenly you're making up what is outside and you're changing what's outside you've you're seeing the same thing but from a different angle and i think when we think about it from a house perspective and physically doing it it makes sense right i'm looking out my window here i see the street like that if i go to my next room i'm going to see the street at a different angle and i'm going to see something different in that picture and that's what reframing is and i think. For me, reframing has been one of the single most powerful tools that I've employed over the last decade and a half. And we're not almost doing it justice talking about it here, but I, I echo what your coach talks about in that it's, it is so, so important because when I come to any situation, and again, it all ties back to nothing has any meaning except for the meaning you give it, is like frame it to what you want. Frame it into... It's seeing the truth but like, like we say the street is the truth let's say and that's always there but if you lived your life looking at that street from one window all you would see would be that angle if you move to different I windows in your house it de- does
1: go deeper than what you've just mentioned is it's just the meaning you give it actually i think it does because we talked about this very briefly in the previous episode maybe in the last one where you talked about where you were close to having to go with that individual in the right. car and you realize you were on the wrong But actually, we're sometimes very quick because we're emotional people, humans, right? We have that capacity to to be conscious and have these thoughts and the amount of thoughts we have every day is incredible. But actually, if you're able to reframe and think, so what are the meaning we give it in that moment? We're able to think, well, what was the reason they gave that response in the first place? And it may be they're just irrational people, right? But it could be, we've got to sum up their education, their their socioeconomic background, their parents. We don't know anything about those individuals. And you have to ask yourself, if and you can create those, if we talked about something in episode one with the um, the Sherpa who reframed the situation for the people who, if anyone has listened to it, go back where they came off Everest and their oxygen had gone, and everyone was up in arms. And he said, "Well, let's reframe this and assume the oxygen saved someone else's life and they've got off the mountain because yeah. let's not assume it was stolen. Let's assume it was used to save someone's life." Total reframe. But in the other situation, is like, well, if we are really angry by someone's reaction to something. It's usually not the, the situation itself that's really caused them frustration. It's something else that's in their lives, and it's just exploded in that moment. And you have to wonder, if you were in that same situation, not knowing what that situation is, you may actually have responded in the same way, going through a divorce, going through a difficult childhood, yeah, whatever it is, there are things that play on our minds that impact our reactions at any moment. And we're yeah. sometimes very, very, very quick to jump and judge.
0: Yeah, I mean I want to actually come onto that uh, something you meant. There's a few things I've, I noted down as well that I wanted to come back to. But the first thing, which is more recent to what you just talked about, where it's it reminds me of a, a lesson that I give to students when I do some education work. And I show a, a slide and it's got three three faces on it. And it's got thinking, feeling, act. And I'm teaching 12, 13 year olds this concept. And it's to do with money and finances, effectively, but it's relevant for everything. And And I ask them, you know, what's the difference between thinking and feeling? And then we have a little bit of discussion. And then I say, look, if I put it simply, thinking is done with the head and feeling is done with the heart and the gut. And what happens is we may feel a certain way, like we want to, we feel like we really need that chocolate bar, or we feel like we need that pair of shoes, or we feel like it would be a good idea to play up in class. That leads to an action, right? The playing up in class or the buying the shoes, and then a consequence, which is getting in trouble, getting attention, et cetera. However, the thinking brain doesn't have a looking, because what happens is your feeling brain kicks in first. And your thinking brain is slower and it might take a few seconds, a few minutes or, or more to kick in. So we act on our feelings a lot of the time. And I'm saying it's not right or wrong to act on feeling or thinking, but we need to allow both to have space to breathe. And so let's say we we see that chocolate bar or we see the, and we feel like we need it. I'm not saying you don't get it. But what I'm saying is that you allow five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is for your thinking brain to kick in so that you can then act in the way that works for you. And what happens is that thinking and that feeling, there is that space. It's it's a bit like the stimulus and response. If you're you're, you're familiar, you have a stimulus and you have a response, but they don't happen at the same time. There's always a gap. And we talked about this before and how to widen the gap and things like mindfulness, meditation can widen that gap. And effectively in in this regard, it's allowing the thinking brain to kick in a little bit quicker than the feeling brain. Or Or at least pausing before the action happens, so the feeling that's
1: happens it. pause, take the breath
0: before we so act pause before the action and you allow that thinking brain to kick in because it might be a few minutes or a few hours or whatever. but you act that's why I think it was was it Abraham Lincoln or Benjamin Franklin or whoever it was? I think it was maybe Abraham Lincoln, his strategy when he was going to have a go at his generals back in the war and everything. he would write the letter and then he wouldn't send it for twenty four hours. Right. And a friend of mine at work used to have an automatic delay on their email of five minutes or 10 minutes. So they would send an email and be stuck in the outbox for five minutes because not because they would say something they don't want to, but they may have made a mistake. And that's what they do. But what it gave that person an opportunity for is to allow that thinking brain to kick in. And I actually do want to cover I want to. I want to lead that into somewhere in a second, which is about the gut, which I think is effectively the second brain—the the gut and the heart. And and I said before the we started recording about heart math. So I want
1: to two yeah. things I wanted to highlight. One is and it'll link to. I do You all know the year because you studied astrophysics, right? So I'm assuming you all have the knowledge. You were talking about looking outside, and what we see is what we assume is real, um, and because that's what our eyes are telling us. But you know, there was also. Um, if I'm just—I don't know why it came into my head in terms of astrophysics. Probably because you started that. I don't think it would have given the example. But for years and years, we thought well, the planets orbited the Earth, and that was fact until suddenly realized that we realised it the Sun, and it's like oh, and that changed everyone's view because the calendars didn't quite work. But we'd make them work. They used to literally change the calendars to make them fit, and they just sort of cut a bit of December off to make it work. And they cut it all out and changed it when they realised what they thought was true wasn't it? when they thought the earth was flat and realized it was round, you know these are things that we believe are absolutely true until actually we realize they're completely untrue and it changes everything around but until someone shows us a different path we often stay completely fixated on there only being yeah. one way
0: it's it's interesting you bring that up because I've, i have thought about this a lot recently uh people like copernicus galileo Because Galileo, um, what did he come up with? Maybe he was the one, not Copernicus, who was talking about the earth revolving around the sun. But he was put under house arrest anyway for the rest of his life because he went against the the popular opinion at the time and the the narrative at the time. And I I think about this because I I do look at a lot of studies. I I listen to a lot of experts on different areas. And there's this thing in science called peer review. Right, So when you submit a paper, it's peer-reviewed, i.e. people who are your peers in some way, shape or form review your work in science. And if they deem it to be trustworthy or they can replicate the results or whatever it is, then they they don't often replicate the results. There'll be another uh, experiment that might do that. But they think, okay, is the method sound? Is the rationale sound? Is the hypothesis sound? Um, Does the data look like it's all good? And then then it gets peer reviewed and it goes into a journal and so on. And I remember hearing a couple of years ago that the problem is that in science, real step change doesn't happen from those people who are all thinking the same. People like Galileo went against the norm. People like Einstein went against the norm. People like Copernicus (laughs) went against the norm. And so if their stuff was peer reviewed, it would be shut down. And it was shut down. Because it was peer reviewed, and they were like, No, that's not the way it is, because that's what we say, and that's what we've always believed, and everything else. And you know, they go under house arrest and they get their reputations tarnished, and everything else. And so it's, it's just funny because I think like, real change happens from those outliers who are prepared to go against the grain and ga- go against the norm, not be so entrenched with the popular narrative of the time. Because it no usually rep- comes,
1: re- relinking your thinking and feeling bit, it usually comes from somewhere innate. Something is telling us. It's not right, and we have, you know, some people are compelled to act upon that, and some people are not. Some people experience life purely based on their external circumstances and what they're told, and they'll follow their echo chambers to reinforce that view without really. You talked about the feeling comes from the gut, not from the mind, but they obviously yeah. they're-, they're closely connected. Those that really have that compelling belief, they need to challenge or, or speak their truth from whatever's coming inside. They're usually those that whatever reason, they can't really even stop. They're just compelled to make change. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting with your um, thinking example, and it's a Michael Neal quote, but I, I, you know, I talk about it a lot because I just really like the concept of it. Because every feeling we have or we experience is always in the shadow of a thought. So if you mm-hmm. think, I want those trainers, and then we feel, I can't, I can't have them, or, oh, I can buy them, I've got money. And it, the whole feeling and experience around that initial thought is different. Someone walks into a room, we think something, we make an instant reaction to it, changes how we feel about that person. But it's always secondary. So we're always living in that shadow. Yeah. So if we can change those shadows, we can change. I, I just think the whole thing is really interesting. I, mean, so I think yeah. that, that gut and
0: mind connection. The gut is, and right? mind, uh, ooh, I do want to come to for sure. I think um, one thing I want to say is that uh, even in science, and I don't claim to be a scientist. I, I studied science at A-level in university. Um, but to come up with a theory and by the way, science is just theory. There's, there? There's no real absolutes or proofs. We're just our best guess, to be honest. You come up with a, a, a hypothesis, and then you test that hypothesis through conducting an experiment and prove it to be true or not, or true as far as we can tell it's true. But the word, to get to the hypothesis, we come up with something. And usually that's a gut, re- a gut response in that, I think if we did this, this would happen. Let's design an experiment to test it. But where did that come from in the first place? That came from a gut instinct, and we sometimes dismiss this idea of gut instinct. But yet, when we're in business, and I'm not professing to be in business or an investor, but let's say uh, you see Dragons Den, a lot of people watch Dragons Den, and they're, they're, they're looking at the uh, the, uh, the the entrepreneur, and the numbers look good, the product looks good, or whatever, and then the investor might say, you know, my gut is just telling me no, right? My gut's saying no. There's something. Intuitively smart about the gut, and I did want to get onto this. I'm gonna have a look at oh, here's the book that I want to talk about as well. Um yeah. called Heart Mass Solution by um Doc Children Howard Martin. But the gut and the heart do have um effectively what are brain neurons, or well, we have neurons all over our body, not just in the brain, and we think that the brain is the thing that's driving the decisions, but what's been proven is that there are more messages going from the heart to the brain than the other way around which is quite interesting and what heart math is is all about is firstly it's a really good stress reduction technique which i'll I'll give you one of the the tips there but effectively we are electromagnetic beings and we have and and if i was talking to you five six years ago i think this would be a more challenging conversation but like we talked about offline you've, you've developed a lot in the last five years in terms of yeah. understanding uh,
1: your concept. Yeah. Yeah. Starting with that book, we talked about, you know, uh, well that Marcus Augury was one of the first book I read. Yeah. I started my thought process, but then reading Dale Carnegie and, and Michael Neal and, and, and different books have kind of led me on that, on that journey into the world of coaching. I wasn't a qualified coach then. And then that-
0: so, so one of the things that I was learning from this book, uh, was that we all have an electromagnetic field around us. Now, the, the brain has a field. If you imagine a field coming out from the top of your head and then going round and coming in from the bottom of your head, it's like a, a torus shape is, is the shape it, it makes, and it extends maybe about a foot away from you. But the heart has a field that extends eight to ten feet away from you, and our heart fields are constantly interacting with one another. It's like sometimes you can go into a a room. And you get a feeling, you get a, a weird feeling that there's something like, Anna, is, there, is there animosity in this room? Is there something like you get a strange feeling or a good vibe or a bad vibe? And that's because our heart fields are interacting with each other and actually directly affecting each other. So what happens is if you imagine a sine wave or a, a, an oscillating wave, a frequency wave, let's say your heart puts out some kind of wave like that yeah you are feeling in a good state gratitude um love connection you have a very smooth wave the frequency that's been emanated from your your heart is very smooth when you are in fear jealousy anger frustration your wave is very jagged very up and downy. okay and What they've been able to study, they've done so many amazing studies here, and they're able to show that a person's heart wave can interfere or can cross over with someone else's and affect that. So not only does it affect the heart wave, it affects the the head wave as well. So let's say you're in a state of frustration and you're around people who are like very jagged heart, heart patterns effectively, and you go into that. And you've got that smooth wave if you're not really strong in that wave you're going to start to feel their wa- their waves effectively it's going to start to jagged your wave a little bit and actually what happens is you the heart and the head becoming co- coherent with each other so then the head will marry up with that and it'll be a very jagged wave so you'll start to feel a little bit stressed and anxious and everything else whereas if you're feeling love and compassion and you have this strong heart wave you can either through close proximity or touch, especially with people that you're quite close to, affect both their heart and head waves. And this is actually what I used to tell to my sisters was my technique with babies. Uh, Babies are super sensitive to picking up on things. And you might know this being a parent yourself that, let's say you left the, the, the child with a babysitter and then when you come back the child is sitting suddenly they wake up they they just sense you they're super sensitive to these things so if a baby was crying i would be holding the baby all i would do would be focusing on my heart area and i would be focusing focusing on getting into a coherent wave pattern so that i can then bring that child into that that state now i don't know if this is actually happening or not this is my belief that i was doing this to happen i and there's certain evidence from books like this that suggest that that's a a reasonable assumption and then they would calm down and stop crying thanks for tuning in to the mindful past podcast with midday and harry kalimius We hope you found our discussions
1: insightful and hopefully you've gained some valuable takeaways to support you on your own journey.
0: Please leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform and share an episode that resonates with you with a friend or family member who may also find it valuable.
1: Please also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss a future episode. And in the meantime, we'll continue exploring mindful path topics to provide you with more insights and more ideas to support you on your personal growth journey.
0: Thank you for your support and look out for the next episode of the Mindful Paths podcast dropping soon.